Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Yoram Solomon, who is author of The Book of Trust, and he also shares a birthday with Elvis Presley, David Bowie, Stephen Hawking, get this, Kim Jong-un. So, Yoram, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, my birthday is about to be celebrated in North Korea, so I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we like to jump right into the show. So if you could start with telling us a little bit about yourself, some of the things you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Well, for fun, uh, you know, if I told you that I like writing books for fun, uh, you'll think I'm, I'm a geek or crazy, but I do. I actually do. I wrote 15 books, but uh, I, I work a lot. I, I work seven days a week and probably somewhere between 10 and 16 hours every day. So I actually have to force myself to do other things that I do find uh, fun. One of them is I buy, I, I not buy, I build and I fly radio controlled airplanes, including jets. Uh, when the weather is not, oh, the, the other thing is I, uh, I'm a long range shooter. Uh, so I uh, spend time at the range at long range range. So you're from Austin, you know where Kenton is. Uh, that's like an hour and a half away from me. That's where uh, our range is. And when the weather is not cooperative, I fly in simulators and uh, specifically the digital combat simulator. I like to fly FA-18s and land them on aircraft carriers. Gotcha. I love it. That's something you don't hear often on the podcast. So thank you for sharing. (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Well, it's um, I'm a researcher of trust. That's uh, something that, uh, you know, if if you want to know, I can tell you how I got there. But I'm a researcher of trust. Uh, I wrote uh, of the 15 books, I would say that eight I can categorize as books uh, about trust. Uh, I also have my own podcast, uh, The Trust Show. Um, And and I deliver, that's, that's my main thing is delivering workshops for organizations, different types of organizations, for-profit, non-profit associations. Uh, many are for-profit organizations where I help them understand what trust is, how to become trusted, whether you're trusted as a person, as an organization by your customers, uh, even being trusted in, in your marriage, in, in your relationships. Uh, that's, that's generally what I do. Awesome. I love it. And so tell us a little bit about your motivation for really trying just researching trust every day and what gets you up and keeps you going. Well, it's kind of funny of how this started because it it really started. I I always loved speaking. So I'm I'm a public speaker, professional public speaker. And um, I've done that for many, many years, but I always worked, right? I mean, worked. I I work now more than I ever worked before, but I always worked for companies. And until 2015, in January 2015, I turned 50. And when that happened, uh, there was this this, uh, word that started bugging me, uh, retirement. 
And what do I do in retirement? What, what am I going to do in retirement? It's not like you retire at 50, but, but I started thinking about that. And I woke up one morning and said, what is it that I love doing? I love teaching. I love speaking. I love writing. I love researching. And then I thought about that for a second. And I said, you know, there are people who actually make money off of it. That's one thing. And the second thing is, why do I need to wait until I'm going to the, I'm reaching that, that magical age of 65 or 67 or 72 or whatever number that is? Why not start now? And so at the age of 15, 2015, I left a high paying executive job and I started doing that. And, you know, you asked about my motivation and what inspired me. Um, it, it, it's funny because my, my uh, PhD research was on motivation. So I, I really understand motivation. And what motivates me intrinsically is, have you ever asked yourself, what do you want written or carved on your headstone after you die? And so I asked myself, well, what, what do I want written? And I realized that what I want written is he inspired me. That's, that's what I want on my headstone. And so, uh, you know, I have the book of trust, which uh, I'm now working on the third edition of the book of trust. It's going to have more than 500 pages. The, the trust show, my podcast, I, I'm, it, it's a solo podcast. It's, it's me talking, not interviewing anyone. I'm, I'm just sharing what I know. And somebody, one of my listeners once reached out to me and said, uh, you know, I, I, are you sharing everything or are you holding anything back? And, and I had to tell them, look, this, the book of trust and, and all the derivative books that I published, the trust show podcast. I consider those my legacy. So my motivation is to create a legacy because one day, you know, I'm, I'm going to be six foot under or, you know, my ashes will be spread in the ocean. And I want to leave a legacy that uh, people will always be able to go back to. You know, when you talk about Elvis Presley, David Bowie and Stephen Hawking, all three of them have passed and, and they left a legacy. The only one that didn't pass yet was Kim Jong-un. <laughs> you know, they left a legacy and I want to leave a legacy. So I'm not holding anything back in my books, in my uh, podcasts. It's, I, I sometimes I feel like I have to do more and more and more and faster so that I leave that legacy. So that's, that's what happens when I wake up and that's at 6 a.m. I start writing. That's, that's what I do for the first two, two and a half hours. I love that. I love that. Well, awesome. Let's jump into your dreams and goals real quick. What's your vision for your legacy? So I know you've kind of talked about you want to inspire people. How do you see that coming into fruition going forward? So, you know, if, if you ask me about the bucket list, uh, I really only have one item on my bucket list. Believe it or not, I, I have one item on my bucket list. You know, I've been to Alaska, I've been to Hawaii, Italy, East Europe. I've, I've been to a lot of places. I've done a lot of things. There's only one thing. I want to spend a week on an aircraft carrier taking off and landing with an F-A-18. How exactly is that going to happen? I still don't know, but that's the only item on my bucket list. 
But you asked me about my dreams and, and I told you that I want to inspire. Um, I think I owe you a story about how, do I, how did I end up with the topic of trust? Because 30 years ago, I was an engineer. Uh, I was developing hardware and software, electronics, hardware and software. And, and if you told me back then that 30 years later, I'm going to be talking about trust, giving workshops on trust, having 15 books, eight of which have the word trust in, in their title, I, I would have thought that you're crazy. But uh, here we are, right? So what happened was I, always, I was always involved with innovation. So I help companies, whether I worked for them or helped them as a consultant advisor, I helped them come up with new ideas. But then what I found was that those new ideas, they don't stick. And that was the time when I started working on my doctoral research. And so I'll tell you a story about that. When I started working on my doctoral research, my, my mentor, my, my dissertation committee uh, chair, wanted me to come up with a topic. And so I keep coming up with a topic, uh, with different topics, and he keeps knocking them down. You know, I, I don't know if you heard that. Uh, when you do your PhD, when you finish your doctoral, the last thing that you do is to defend your dissertation. Now, some people defend their dissertation. It's like, with flying colors, but some people are borderline, borderline. I mean, the, your committee is doing you a favor by passing you. You know what they call those people that the committee did them a favor by passing them? You know uh, what they call them? What do they call them? Doctors. <laughs> it's, it's pretty binary here. You passed or you didn't pass. So you're a doctor. The second thing that the university told me was that a good dissertation is a done dissertation because only 25 to 31%, uh, I was told, uh, of people who start the dissertation will ever finish it. So, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm aiming pretty low with the topic. And my mentor keeps pushing back and he keeps pushing back. And at some point he said something. He said, I want you to come up with a topic that's going to improve your life and the lives of others. And well, that's, that's, that's far from a good dissertation or is a done dissertation, right? So it's a pretty tall order. And so I started thinking about that and, and trying to come up with topics, but he still keeps shooting them down. And at some point he asked one of the most pivotal questions in my life. He asked me, Yoram, what pisses you off? And so I wanted to say, well, you, I'm trying to come <laughs> up with a topic and you don't let me. But the words that came out of my mouth were, why are people so much more creative when they work in startup companies than they work in large, mature companies? So you're in Austin and Austin is one of the hotbeds in the U.S. for startup companies and, and innovation. And I've been there. So I spent the next two years researching what I ended up calling innovation culture. So here I am now in, and, and in 2015, that's when I launched my business in 2015, the name of that business still is the name of the business is the Innovation Culture Institute. And so the focus was on innovation culture, innovation and innovation culture. But in 2017, something else funny this is how you know all those stories all those moments in your life change your path so i was meeting with uh, a at the time a prospective client and started asking them about all those components that i found were important for a culture of innovation 
And so I started asking them about one, which was autonomy and another one, accountability and constructive disagreement. And on the flip side, bureaucracy and CYA and politic office politics and so on. So I asked them about those and, and I realized they, they didn't have any of the good components, but all of the bad components. And at that point, I didn't care if they're going to be a customer or not. I wanted to know why. And so as I keep on digging and digging and digging, I realized that the issue was that they didn't trust each other. They have very low trust. Now, at that time, I had just finished writing my seventh book, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss. And the book was with the editors. And while the editors were working on that book, I realized that I need to write something about trust. So I wrote another six-page chapter. This was the first time. It was July 29, 2017. I wrote, the for the first time, I wrote a chapter about trust. And so the book came back from the editors. I edited that chapter. I didn't bother sending it back to the editors. So if you ever get the book, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss, all of the typos and grammatical errors are all in that six-page chapter because that's the only chapter that didn't go through the editors. That was the first time I wrote about trust, but I started researching it and researching it. And I built a model that is different than any other model ever used to describe trust. You know, there, there, there's Stephen Covey Jr., who uh, wrote The Speed of Trust back in 2006. Others after that, nobody has defined trust and, and created the model that I have be, because it's different. It's very comprehensive. I mean, the Book of Trust is about to come out with a third edition, more than 500 pages explaining it. And, and it's not that it's too complex. It's different. It's just different. So in 2017, all of a sudden, I find myself in a fork in the road asking myself, do I stick with innovation? Up until now, everything I did was, was in innovation, innovation culture, or do I change to trust? So I asked 20 of my closest friends and family, what do you think I should do? Stick with innovation or turn to trust? 19 out of 20, Timothy, 19 out of 20 said, stick with innovation. So I turned to trust. <laughs> That's hilarious. Explain to us your rationale right there. Why did I decide? Well, th there are a couple of reasons or several reasons. Uh, reason number one is always keep in mind, people who care about you, they don't want you to get hurt. Their way for you to not get hurt is to pull you to their comfort zone. Whereas if they really want you to be successful, they need to push you away, away from your comfort zone. So I realized 19 out of 20 pulled me into their comfort zone. They wanted me safe, but I wasn't going after safety. I was going after making a difference. The second reason or another reason was that I realized that trust is a lot more broad, a lot broader than, than innovation or innovation culture. I mean, it, I realized that trust is the foundation. Innovation is something that you build on top of it. What I also realized was that if you start working on innovation, it's like you, you start building a building from the second floor. You don't build from the second, you don't start with the second floor. You don't even start with the first floor, which would be the culture component. 
you start with a foundation. And, and you and I live in Texas where, you know, pretty much every house needs foundation repair. And that's pretty because much. when they build them, they didn't think about the fact that they're laying on clay and, and you need to put foundation. But so you start with a foundation and, and trust is the foundation. So now the question is, do I start at innovation culture or do I start with a foundation that's trust? The, the other thing is, um, even though innovation is pretty pervasive to all aspects of life, it's not as pervasive as trust is. And, and it just, it, it spoke to me. And, and I, you know, there's that moment where you go, I think I just found my mission. And, and that was it. I didn't feel that when I, as much as I did with innovation, as much as I researched innovation culture, I didn't feel that I found my mission as I did when I, I would say stumbled across trust. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And so tell us a little bit about, you know, bringing that whole story back into your vision for your trust movement going forward. Talk to us about that. What do you mean by the trust movement going forward? You know, you've created this model. You're in the third edition of your book. What impact do you want it to have on what impact and on who going forward? I got you. I got you. So, uh, in my opinion, the, the way, you know, what, one of the things that whenever you read a book, so first of all, I read pretty much every book that came out on the topic of trust. Uh, some of them are not very good, but, but I'm in a position right now being a thought leader or, or an expert in the area of trust that I can't afford to say, if somebody asked me, have you read this book about trust to say, I not yet, not really. Uh, so I, I pretty much read every book that comes out on trust uh, and uh, every article and, and I do my own primary research. But what I found was that while every other model talks about, every other model is, is pretty much universal, okay? So the, the way it's universal is in assuming that whatever you do, that's going to make you trusted. And if you do the other thing, it's going to make you less trusted or dis or, or untrusted. And that's not true because, and this is one of the things that, that makes my model and, and my approach to trust so unique is because I look at trust as, as relative, not as universal, not as absolute. And, and I have to give you an example. So I have two daughters and one of them had just graduated from college and the other one is third year in college. So one day I, I saw that they were signing up for classes. And when they sign up for classes, they went through a website called ratemyprofessors.com. Have you heard of that website? I used to rate my professors on it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, ratemyprofessors.com. And I looked at it, you know, anonymous reviews of students who actually attended classes with a specific professor and they write what they think about that professor in that, in that specific class. And I thought, wow, this is brilliant. So wait a minute, I'm a professor. I actually teach at SMU, Southern Methodist uh, University. I teach entrepreneurship. Do I have a page on ratemyprofessors.com? So I went to ratemyprofessors.com and, and searched and I found myself. And so my students were putting, uh, were putting reviews. 
And first of all, I would tell you that I rate, uh, I believe now about 4.5, which is, you know, pretty high up there. But, you know, being a perfectionist, uh, I go, wait, it's out of five. Why not five? Who gave me something less than five? So I, I'm starting to look and I'm finding this review. Okay, it's five out of five. Yoram's Professor Solomon is awesome. He cares about you and he teaches you how to uh, create businesses and so on. It's, it's a great, great review. Then I look at the next one. One out of five. So I don't have any twos, threes, or I think I have one four, but it's fives and a few ones. So, so I'm looking at the one and the one says he's condescending, arrogant. He uses his own, own content uh, as course material and so on, but he's a good grader. So, you know, it's not all bad. And, and here's the thing that, that surprised me. I, I looked at those reviews and I, I look at two reviews that were five out of five and one review that was one out of five. And, you know, the reviews are anonymous, so I don't know who the students are. But what I can tell is that they sat at the same class at the same, in the same semester at the same time. How can students have such different views of the same person. I was obviously the same person in the same classroom at the same time because it is relative. And one of the main components in my model, it's actually the, the component with the highest correlation to the level of trust is personality compatibility. You know, we don't have to be identical. We don't have to be similar. similar. Sometimes you, you probably heard opposites attract, right? But it's not in all cases. One of the best analogies I, I ever heard, and, and I'm using that uh, shamelessly, is uh, think about what happens to an egg when you put it in boiling water. What happens to it? It gets hard, right? Mm -hmm. What happens to a potato when you put it in boiling water? It gets soft. It gets soft. Same, same boiling water, different effects. That happens to people too. You know, I, I do the same thing in the same classroom at the same time. One student gives me a five and thinks that I walk on water. The other one thinks I'm terrible, awful. That's the, the word. And so that's one of the biggest things that, that I learned, that trust is relative. The, the other one is that when we, tr when we want to build trust, you know, it's so easy for me to say, Timothy, if you want to, uh, uh, to earn my trust, here is what you need to do. Here is what you must do to earn my trust. Instead, the building, the building block of trust is my own trustworthiness. So I kind of uh, adopted what JFK said in 1961 in his inaugural address when he said, you remember, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I say, ask not what the others can do to earn your trust, ask what you can do to earn theirs. So wh whenever I do my workshop, what I do is, my workshops typically have three parts. The first one is the inspirational part. That's, I explain what trust is. I tell a lot of stories. Uh, I explain the eight laws of trust that I observed over the years. The second part is the educational part where I explain the model with the six components, the who you are and the what you do. The third part, I take my audience 
through a seven-step process of how to become more trusted with changing just one thing. One, and it's not the same thing for everyone. I mean, I've done this. The largest audience I had was 3,550 people. Oh, wow. And they created 3,550 different plans because there's one thing that you're doing that you need to change. There's another thing that somebody else is doing. There is another thing that I need to do to change, uh, to be more trusted. And, and again, it's in the context of a specific relationship. I love that. I love that. And it makes complete sense that it's relative and that different people respond to different things. Because, I mean, that's just how the world works. <laughs> yeah, and it's not only that it's relative, it's also dynamic. That's, that's another thing that you, you got to keep in mind that, you know, we think that if you do all these things, you will be trusted. But you know something? This is why my model has two major groups of components. So there are really only six components, three and three. Three of them are the what, who you are. Okay, this is kind of your brain. This is your competence, our personality compatibility, the symmetry in our relationship. Symmetry in our relationship has an impact on trust. So, you know, if we are both working for the same company and across the wall is a, what we would call a shared or a common enemy, the, the enemy can, can be enemy, literally, the enemy can be... Uh, a tight budget or a tight schedule. Uh, as long as we share this, the, the, this is on the other side of the wall and you and I are on the same side, that helps build trust. It's when we are not on the same side, when we're competing for promotions or things like that, that's when we start losing trust. So these are the, the who you are, but trust is dynamic. It changes with every interaction. So with every interaction, you will be bringing positivity or negativity to that interaction. It's going to be accelerated by time and intimacy in that interaction. So keep in mind that, that it's not like you check those boxes and now you're trusted. It's dynamic. It's, you, you can never let go. You, you have to focus on what you do in every interaction because in every interaction, you can gain trust or lose trust. Absolutely. I love that. Relative and dynamic. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if there were one or two people you could meet right now that would help you take the next step towards really, it was spending a week on a F-18, right? Taking off and landing. Yes. So one of them would be the pilot sitting in the front. <laughs> so because without that pilot, uh, well, actually, I'll tell you, I, one, I am a pilot, not jets, not fighter jets. I am a pilot. And two, I've done enough, I think, on a simulator that uh, I might be able to land it on an aircraft carrier. The thing is that the consequences of uh, me being wrong are, are pretty severe. Yeah. But, but you're not asking about the F-18. Well, that too, but also just, you know, spreading your message and um, getting more business coming into your consulting practice. So I, I really think that... Uh, there is always the element of luck. Um, and, and, and you can create your own luck. 
you know, when I was still dealing with innovation, I remember once uh, I had this idea for a company, a technology company, and uh, the board of directors uh, listened to it and said, wow, this is a great idea. One of the board members uh, came to me and said, great ideas uh, like this happen once in a lifetime. And I'm thinking about my own history and going, wait, no, I had more than one in my lifetime. So, but, but I thought about the analogy, great ideas are accidental. And I said, you know what? I agree that great ideas are accidental, but you can put yourself in a situation where those accidents happen. And so, you know, think about you're in Austin. So think about uh, you want to have an accident. You want to ride your bike and you want to have an accident. I don't know why, but you want to have an accident. If you ride your bike in a park, nothing's going to happen because there are no cars driving in the park, right? If you are serious, if you want to have an accident, take your bike, take it on 35 during rush hour, right? You're yep. going to have your accident in the first five minutes, if not less. Yep. So I think that one of the things that I am doing is, is not waiting for things to happen, but actually putting myself in places where, you know, there's the podcast and social media and you keep on doing that. But I do believe that there is an element of luck. And that is one day a person notices that and says, whoa, this is very, very cool. My books are very comprehensive in how they address trust. And I write, you know, I, I know it's going to kind of sound a little arrogant, but I write well. And the, the podcast is interesting, and I get that from feedback from the audience. But it's, it's that one person that has 2 million followers that's going to say, this is cool, and put a link to it. These are the type of things that, that will change everything, that those one or two or more people that have those 2 million followers that would all of a sudden say, this is really cool. You have got to hear about that. And all of a sudden, my 20, 30,000 followers become two, three million. That's when it changes. So it. it's not someone specific, but it's someone in that position. An influencer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Man, it's crazy how important people's attention is. Yeah. <laughs> it's so important. What's the most important you know one? That the, the, we have a very short attention span. There was a there was a survey, not not a survey, a study that was done for uh, for Microsoft in Canada in 2013 that said that uh, we have a very short attention span. That that our attention span had declined from 2000 to 2012, from 12 seconds to eight seconds, which is even shorter than the attention span of a goldfish, which is nine seconds. And that brings three questions. One is, why did it drop? Why did it drop from 12 seconds to eight seconds? Why is it so short? And how exactly do you measure the attention span of a goldfish? <laughs> oh man, that last question got me. That was funny. <laughs> um... Yeah, awesome. Well, name the most important one or two things that everyday people can do to help you keep pushing forward. You know something? You're doing it right now. You may not have 2 million subscribers or 20 million subscribers or followers, but every person that says this was cool, you guys have to listen to him, that does it. 
that that just does it. Everyone who's listening to your show, and I hope you're going to have, you know, somebody. I heard somebody once being very critical at who they, whose show, whose podcasts are they going to go on, right? I mean, I'm not going to anybody's podcast unless they have at least two hundred thousand uh, followers. I'm not that person. I will go to somebody's podcast if they have one follower. You know what? Because I can help them. Not, not just that they can help me. I can help them. Because the next thing that I'm going to do, just like you're going to advertise the podcast, I'm advertising it as well on my website. And I share it uh, with others. It's, it, it's help. You're helping me. I'm helping you. But every person that says, this is really cool. You have got to hear about that. Is that one thing that's helping? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. Well, awesome. Now we're going to jump into our thriving three. Okay. Where I get to hear a little bit about you and what you do to thrive. So what's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. Can we go with a TV show? TV show works. Okay. The West Wing. There is nothing like the West Wing. Best, best TV show ever. I was watching the, the, the West Wing on the treadmill every day. So this is a show with like 22 episodes per season, seven seasons. And I watched it probably four times, maybe five times. Last time after I stopped watching it on Netflix, like within a month, I wanted to start it again. And it was gone from Netflix. And just today, I found it on HBO Max. So uh, the West Wing, I mean, the, the wittiness, the sharp, how, how sharp they are, the dialogues there, the, the impact of people there, it's just, uh, it's, it's inspiring. That's, that's my, my most favorite TV show ever. I love it. The West Wing. What's one way you like to care for yourself? You know, it, it's taking those breaks. It's forcing myself to take, uh, to take breaks. It's... Um, as I told you, I, I work seven days a week, uh, 10 to 16 hours a day. I, I love what I do. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love what I do. But you have to sometimes break away. When I started with, with innovation, it was actually creativity, not, not just innovation. So creativity as the individual function. Innovation, I consider more of an organizational function. When I started researching creativity, I... <laughs> I came across this, this interesting study. You know where you are, where you get your most ideas? Where do people get their most ideas? You know where? The shower? The shower. I, I knew you were going to say that, but <laughs> you know what? Research actually showed that 74% of people get their ideas in the shower. And, and I tried to understand why is that? And I, I believe I did reach an answer and, and, um, uh, it's actually a process. And so I built this four-step process of, of how do you get creative. I have to be creative in what I do. You have to be creative in what you do. So what is the process? Step number one is collect, gather as many ideas as you can. You just don't, don't restrict yourself. Don't, don't pigeonhole yourself to this one area that I don't just read about trust. Right now I'm reading about uh, the person who was one of the driving forces, a, a biography of a person who, Jennifer D uh, Doudna, 
uh, who's the um, uh, one of the driving forces in coming up with the COVID-19 vaccine. And so open your mind, get as many ideas as you can. That's number one. Number two is actually do nothing. Just let those ideas incubate in your head. Trust me that at some point they will come out at the right moment and, and merge and, and connect. And when those ideas connect, okay, I'm starting to heat things around me. When those uh, ideas connect, that's when you get magic. Step four is go to the shower. Because in the shower, your brain is in neutral. And when your brain is in neutral, that's when you allow those ideas to connect. Timothy, this would be the time where you asked me, wait, didn't you skip number three? I, I missed it. Totally yeah, went over my head. <laughs> I skipped number three. And I skipped number three for a reason. Number three is what makes step four much more powerful. See, our brains, it's not just that our brains are in neutral when we have ideas. It's the drop in the intensity level of our brain, the, the activity level of our brain that makes us come up with those new ideas. So right before step number four, which would be you take a shower, do something that is has high intensity. Uh, to me, building and flying those radio-controlled airplanes, some of them are jets. You know, when, when you fly a jet at 160 miles per hour and you fly in circles and you do all kinds of aerobatics with it, as soon as you land and it stops, you know what's the next thing that you do? Hmm. You blink because for the last 10 minutes, you did not blink because you blink, it disappears. So those are high intensity activities. And so to me, you know, breaking, when I read, I don't consider that a high intensity activity. I consider that a step one activity, which is I fill my brain with ideas that are outside of my industry. But it's when I take those breaks and I force myself to take those breaks, that's how I take care of myself. Love it. Love it. Awesome. What's one action step you can take right now or continue to take to keep taking those steps towards your dreams and goals? So I think the, uh, the, the important thing is to continue, continue and take. When, you know, when I joined the National Speakers Association, um, there are a lot of people that would come in and tell you, oh, just do one, two, and three, and you're going to be successful overnight success. Uh, you know, if you listen to Gary V, the, the video that made him famous, you remember the overnight success video? Where he goes, yeah, of course I got overnight success after I worked on it for 20 years. One of the obsessions that we have is with the goal, with, with the end result. And the thing is that your effort is exponential. The good thing about exponential towards the end is how it multiplies itself. It's amazing. If when, when you are going from making a million dollars a year to making a million and a half dollars a year, that's, that's great growth. But remember that when you started, you went from $1,000 a year to $1,500 a year. That seemed like nothing. But the following year, you're at 2,250 and then the following year and the following year and the following year. So to me, the thing that you can do right now 
you have to come up with something that makes sense. Here's, here's my model. I believe that what I need to do is ABC. And so for me, it is continue to write and publish books. It's continue to publish. And I'm, I'm very persistent with releasing my podcast and, and doing new episodes and then marketing and advertising them. You know, there's one thing that I do every morning, every morning. Uh, there are actually a couple of things. One of them is uh, follow up with clients that I have or I am already in touch with. But another one, reach out to podcasters like you, Timothy, and say, I have something for your podcast. Now, if your podcast was like completely out in left field and, and I have nothing to add to your podcast, to your listeners, I wouldn't do that. But every morning, four days actually a week, I don't do that on Friday. Four days a week, I reach out to somebody who has a podcast or a TV show. I appeared on TV twice already. And I pitch to them, this is something that your viewers or your listeners will appreciate. Once I came down to this is my, th this is what's going to work for me. You keep on doing it. You do it and you do it and you do it and you do it. You know, I, I have a lot of uh, starting speakers that come to me and ask uh, for advice. And you know what they're looking for? They're looking for a silver bullet, right? Give me that one silver bullet that will make me successful uh, next week, next month. But, but I don't have time to wait beyond that. And so many of those speakers, and, and this is going to be good advice for, for your listeners. Many of those speakers they work in, in a full-time job, right? And the, the way they think this is going to work is I'm going to work my full-time job and I'm going to start as a speaker until the revenue, the income that I'm making from speaker, being a speaker is going to cross to exceed what I'm making in my full-time job. And then I'm going to quit my full-time job and be a full-time speaker, right? So I asked them, are you willing to spend one hour every weeknight to build your business? Every weeknight. I, don't, don't give me five hours one night and then nothing throughout the rest. One hour every weeknight. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Let's say that you're willing to do that. Plus five hours every weekend, straight five hours straight every weekend. Well, this is where they tell me, well, my weekend is my downtime, right? This is the time that I'm going to be spending with my family. I need to rest. I need to relax. I don't know that I can do one hour every weeknight and, and then five hours every, every weekend. Humor me. Let's say that you're willing to do that. That's 10 hours every week of building your business. I'm going to give you two weeks off every year. Okay, so only 50 weeks a year that you're going to do 10 hours every week. That's 500 hours. Timothy, do you know when my business took a turn to the point where it started not just being sustainable, but when people started reaching out to me? At which point? 12,000 hours. After I spent 12,000 hours. If your rate is 500 hours a year, that's 24 years. You're going to get there in 24 years. You do not build a business like mine with 10 hours a week. 
you build it with the 60 to 80 hours a week that I spend on it. And so the big thing is know what's going to work for you. Know how to say no to things, to other things. I mean, we're limited. We can do everything. So you got to know what not to do. So I know what not to do. Things that, that will have marginal impact on my business, I just don't do them. Know what will help you. Work on this and don't be obsessed with, uh, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I love it. I love it. Continue to do. Continue to do. Yes. Awesome. Well, Yoram, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You have anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? No, this, this was great. I mean, we can talk about all kinds of things, Texas, but I'm um, guessing <laughs> that you have uh, listeners who don't care about Texas necessarily. Yeah, It was great, Timothy. I enjoyed being with you. Awesome. Enjoyed having you on. And if you're listening to this podcast and you loved what Yoram had to say, make sure to reach out to him, buy his books, converse with him. If you happen to own an F-18, connect with him and get him that week flying and landing on the F-18. And if you happen to know an influencer, make sure to make that connection too. Guys, thank you for watching. Yoram, thank you for being on the show. And like we always say, Send this podcast to somebody you know needs to hear this message. Shoot us a five-star review on iTunes, and we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.